Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today, I'm joined once again by Bob Siner. Bob is a legend in the data management space, the creator of non-invasive data governance, the publisher of the data administration newsletter, a Lego aficionado, a frequent guest on the show, and last but not least, my good friend. Bob, welcome back. How are you doing today? Thanks, Anthony. That is that's the best introduction that you've done so far. I I appreciate that, especially the Lego aficionado part. If people know from the last podcast, we we, we kind of related everything that we talk about to to Legos. We're just two grown kids. That's it. <laughs> that's right. And, and we're both, we had a little conversation pre-show and, and we're both in good moods. It's almost the Thanksgiving weekend. You guys will be listening to this right after the Thanksgiving weekend. And we're, you know, we're happy for this upcoming break and, and trying to, to relax a little bit, which is not something that I'm terribly good at. But I'm, um, I want to ask you before we Wait, get into the you're topic. You're taking a break? Wait, you're taking a Oh, yes. Wait, I get to take a break? Okay. Yeah, I don't okay, know if fine. you do. Uh, I do because I have a normal hey, job hey, now. Yeah, yeah, I get to take a break. I thought we were let her no, no. I'm sorry I interrupted. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I'm very excited because I actually get paid days off now. It's amazing to have a real job. I really, wow. I'm, yeah, I did. I forgot what those were. Um, so we are, um, we're recording this the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and and Bob, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, and the folks listening to this right after the holiday break, Bob, what are you thankful for this year in in 2020, the year that it's been? <laughs> So wait, how long is this podcast? Because I've got a lot of things I'm thankful for. That's good. Uh, I'm thankful for you, Anthony, and uh, our friendship, and, and you know, and being able to do these and, and getting in front of of all these people. Um, you know what? I'm thankful for so many things. I'm thankful for my wife and, and daughters. I'm thankful for my family, friends, uh, clients. It's always good when you're a consultant to be thankful to, for your clients. That's right. As well, very thankful for my clients. But, you know, my health and all those things. Um, I am, you know, it, 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 it's what's really nice about this holiday is that if you actually sit back and you take a moment to think about what it is, what the intent of the holiday is, that there's a lot of things. I'm thankful that I lived this way. I'm thankful for my parents that uh, brought me into the world. I mean, there are so many things to be thankful for, and um, and and I just feel uh, extremely blessed by so many of these things that. You know, I mean, it is truly, a, even though I won't be together with all of my friends and family like I, I often do mm-hmm. during the Thanksgiving holiday, I will miss that significantly. But we're going to do things through Zoom. We're going to do different meetings and get-togethers and things like that. And uh, I'm going to miss them, but I want them all to stay safe and stay healthy and such. So, uh, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for so many things that we could just talk the whole time about that. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't say it better than my, you know, better myself. And, and I would echo everything you just said. And I would I would also add, you know, just a, a thankfulness that, you know, we have the the ability to be. Uh, safe and and to stay home and you and I have had separate conversations about you know how you know we're treating the pandemic and and all of that and and I'm I'm happy that there's it seems to be there's vaccines on the way and and this will hopefully be done by this time next year and and we'll be looking back on it instead of in the middle of it I'm really scared of what's going to happen in the in the coming months but I know that we'll get through it um and I just really am thankful for those folks that don't have that luxury of being able to stay um outside of a lot of it and and you know the ones that go into work every day and 
and the, the first responders and the medical professionals, um, it's going to be a rough couple months. And, and so, you know, for them and, and, you know, the teachers and the people that are, are you know, putting themselves out there and often thanklessly, you know, we don't um, seem to be uh, respecting that enough. And, and I really just, you know, I'm, I'm appreciative of that because they do it not for our thanks, but because it's their calling. And, and that's something that I feel uh, very strongly about. And, and, you know, one of the reasons why, um, you know, I personally took a, a real job um, at a company because it allows me to be in my little weird data way, you know, part of that, um, part of that fight and, and, and do what I do to kind of help move that forward in what way I can. And, and most of the ways that I could actually help don't really help that much, but, um, you know, I'd like to think that I'm doing a little bit, um, to try to move that forward. And I, and I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of the organization that, that I work with, but, um, you know, it's, it's really, no, go ahead. I was going to say, now you make me feel bad because I forgot to mention them <laughs> in my list of people that I'm thankful for. I, uh, <laughs> Oh, but you would I, have. I, I, you don't make me feel too bad. I, I'll get over it. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, there are a lot of people that are doing, like the healthcare workers, just like the first responders in, in all regards. Um, you know, there's just we should be thankful for them every day. Yeah. And uh, and when the pandemic is over, we should continue to be thankful for them because they do so much to, you know, to make the world a great place. You know, most of them, at least, um, that it's they they do deserve our thanks as well. That's right, and and I know you, and I know you think that, and so that's uh, you know, I I think we both spoke together on on that entire section, and you just gave me a little opportunity <laughs> to say some myself. So the topic of today's show, though, so now we've we've kind of covered the 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 thankfulness part, and you all are coming back from the holiday weekend. Now it's time to start looking forward because we all want twenty twenty to be over, and so what what comes in twenty twenty one in the world of data? So that's our topic for today, and we don't even know where we're going to take it. But Bob, I know um, you know we've we've had a little bit of prep for this. Like, what what do you think is is changing? What do you think that after this unprecedented twenty twenty of madness and craziness and you know anger and health issues, all of this? What do we see in 2021? Is this, you know, we're going to go with assuming that we start to move back towards a new normal. What does that look like in the world of data to you? Well, you know, one of the things that I've been kind of surprised at is that, you know, in 20, 2020 being the way that it has been, that companies haven't like rested on their laurels and, and haven't sat back and said, you know, you know, we've gotten by this way, you know, there's, you know, good enough and you know, that, that they're not looking to improve. When I've actually seen a lot of things to the contrary. I've seen yeah. a lot of companies, I know as a consultant, I'm as busy as I've ever been. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of companies that from a data governance uh, space, from a metadata management space, from a data management space, just more in general, from an analytics and data sciences space, um, they're not – they're not sitting back and, and saying, you know, let's wait until this is over before we start to think about it. Uh, I think they're doing a lot of their thinking about it now. And yeah. I think what that does is it kind of leads us into a 2021 where um, where we will start to act on some of the things that we've planned out in 2020. Mm -hmm. So I actually look at it. You know, I, I will never think of 2020 as being a good thing. I mean, you hear the expression "hindsight is 2020." Well, that now has a brand new meaning 
for a lot of people, right? Let's put it in the hindsight. Let's yeah, put it uh, no you know, in, the, in the rearview mirror. But I really think there's going to be opportunity now for organizations because they're even finding with their employees dispersed all over the place and being working remotely. I think that we're going to find that we're going to be able to build efficiencies that we have never been, that we didn't think were possible mm -hmm. because we've, we've gotten to the point where we've had to become efficient working the way we're working right now. And so I just think that opportunity, I, I'm really looking forward to, you know, next month, next year, you know, the following years, because that opportunity is there. And the one thing that hasn't kind of fallen by the wayside is data. Mm -hmm. Data is, is first and foremost in a lot of organizations' minds. So I, that's you know that's where I, I, I hope to see 2021 going. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly agree with all of that, and I feel like you're right. I think what what happens in you know any kind of economic shakeup, and we'll 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 say that that doesn't adequately describe what 2020 has been, but I think it certainly applies in that organizations have had to rethink some of their core assumptions at this point. And I think that the the businesses that were ahead of the curve with data um, have likely weathered the storm a bit better than those who have not like that have not invested appropriately in, in data. And they're probably feeling that pain. And so I think what we're going to see is a is a continued reinvestment in those capabilities, realizing, hey, we can't predict what tomorrow is going to look like necessarily. And we need to have the right uh, tools and abilities to leverage data, whether we're together in an office or whether we're working remotely, like data can be something that creates a layer, a layer of insight and consistency that can um, transcend geographic boundaries very well. And that's where I think that, um, you know, that reinvestment really comes from and, and, and really thinking through, you know, some of the things that are always like inconvenient um inconvenient tasks that people love to put off until it's too late and then they overinvest when it, you know afterwards like i'm thinking like disaster recovery right like disaster recovery still is something that people like you know i'll go do some disaster recovery stuff but now it's been a disaster and now we're like uh yeah we probably really should have done more of that and i i think you know we're hopefully going to learn a bit from that but the fact is is that you know some of these things are just not you know, ever going to have the layer of investment and the the level of uh, attention that they probably deserve. And I think it's it's up to us in the data management community to help organizations realize, like, I think problems like 2020 help amplify the awareness of the problem. Like, clearly data problems have escalated in their visibility in 2020 in organizations. The problem is, is that the answers of what to do about it don't necessarily get that same increase in visibility. It's still just as confusing as it always was. Now more people are confused. Well, does that help us? No. It it's it's now more. We may get more, um, you know, uptake. And and like you've said, uh, your you know, your consulting business is, is doing very well right now because more and more people are like, we have a problem and we need help. And that's where, you know, folks that are listening to this podcast, the folks that are in the data management community, those data diversity conference attendees and all that, those are the folks that can bring that answer to the forefront and help organizations do something about it. And that's where I think if we look at that as an opportunity, um, you know, for us to, to really bring together the people in an organization that can help us transform our abilities with data, then we're going to be on the right track. And that's where I, I think that there's that underpinning of hope that is inspiring 
coming out of something as dark as, as 2020 has been for, for many of us and many of our organizations. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we can learn a lot from 2020. We can learn a lot. And I'm not even just talking about the data world. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about everything and, uh, you know, diversity and, uh, you know, everything that has come to the forefront in 2020 is a, is a learning lesson for us. And I think that if we take it that way and if we, we, we use it to our advantage. So, yes, a lot of the companies and organizations that were better serving their data community, their, their data centricity, so to speak, um, you know, may, might have had it easier in 2020 to continue to survive. Um, but, you know, it, it is very important to consider the fact that there's a lot of organizations out there that are way behind. Mm-hmm when it comes to data management. And so, you know, whatever it takes to bring that, you know, we can't let that be lost. You know, we we, we need to kind of hold on to that and we need to continue to focus on that moving forward. And if we do, there could be a lot of opportunity for you, for me, for everybody who would be spending their time watching, you know, this podcast. Um, there's a lot of, you know, it seems like our, our uh, podcast always come back to the word opportunity yeah. because there is a lot of opportunity. And if people look at this as, as being an opportunity and to build on the things that we've done during this time, I think we'll all come out better for it. Yeah, completely agree. And, and I think like we've covered, you know, in, in the conversation here, I think we've covered broadly kind of some of the strategic things and the, the opportunities that 2021 may present at a high level, at an organizational level. I want to switch gears and and ask you about when you're doing your work, because you're working with a, a variety of, of different companies and different industries and, and all of that. Let's get a little bit more tactical. What kinds of data capabilities are organizations investing in going into 2021 from what you're seeing broadly? And, and you know, are there technologies that are coming more into focus? Are there particular uh, disciplines that are, are uh, top of mind or is it still the same thing that you've been seeing for the last five or 10 years? Well, um, and, and I'm going to say this, you know, keeping in mind your your, your most recent column on, on PDAN. About <laughs> I was going to bring this catalog, up. <laughs> yeah. About the data catalog. Um, I am seeing a, a super emphasis on metadata management, mm-hmm. on data catalogs, on metadata repositories, on needing to, you know, our organizations to get their act together and know what data they have and know who's responsible for it and consolidating multiple systems that have been a a burden in the past, like moving multiple CRM initiatives into a single CRM or multiple ERPs into an ERP. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to technology, we'll we'll start with technology. When it comes to technology, um, anything that is going to improve our ability to get value out of our data and do data analytics and data science uh, is important. I just had a conversation this morning with a person who said, you know what, we're putting data analytics in first and then we're gonna do data governance because the data analytics will provide, that was kind of my look and my thought too, (laughs) but it made a lot of sense for this organization because once they had that flashlight into their data, um, and they built things that they could do, and they found that the data was really poor. Mm-hmm. 
that that gave them the ability to say, you know what, as we as we invest in the future in the data analytics mm -hmm. and the, in the ability to be able to make better decisions and data science, um, we now have that flashlight, that that spotlight into our environment that shows that the data doesn't match what we want to do. And it gives us more, it says, you know what, we had we been governing our data all along, or if we had been focusing on data quality all along, we would be, we wouldn't, you know, we, we wouldn't have that spotlight shown on, you know, on where there's deficiencies in our environments. Yeah. So I did the same thing you did. I cringed a little <laughs> bit when he said that. I said, isn't that kind of the, the you know, doing things in reverse? He said, no, but there's a method to our madness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, and to me, it, it made sense. And I even told him, I said, you know, I don't think anybody has ever presented it to me that way before. And if it's being successful for that organization, you know, you got to do what's successful. So when it comes to the data discipline, so that's the technology is that the data catalogs and having an understanding of your data, where it is, who who has responsibility for it, the quality and the value and the confidence and all of those things are very critical. But when it comes to the disciplines, you know, you know, kind of go. Everybody always seems to fall back on the Dama wheel, right? Yeah. They, they kind of look at that. Uh, Dama International, if you're not familiar with it, has a wheel of of different data disciplines that are are that really need to be focused on. And you know, we still haven't tackled all of those. It's not like we've hit all those and we need something new. Yeah. You know, data governance is still lacking in a lot of organizations, and even the ones that are doing it can do it better. Data modeling is like a lost art, you know, mm -hmm. when people are, are viewing at the, the logical, the conceptual, the, uh, the physical models of their data. Um, you know, all of those master data management has, is, is raising, is, is, a, is rising, I won't say it's rising from the dead because it never went away, right? Um, so a lot of those disciplines that they talk about, um, I'm not sure that there is anything new you and I have had conversations around, well, do we have to have cloud data governance or do we have to have master data governance or, you know, or big data governance? No, we need to have data governance. We need to be able to apply it to whatever the environment is that we're working within. So I don't know if there's a whole lot of new discipline um, that, that needs to be done. I think we just need to get better at the things that people have been talking about for many years. I mean, I might be wrong, but you'll tell me if I'm wrong. So. <laughs> well, you know, I, I agree. Like the, the, the disciplines and, and the kind of foundational principles of data management and data governance, those aren't going away. Like those are still going to be the same thing. Um, you know, I, I, I like I like that you brought up first. So let me let me start at the beginning. I like that you brought up my my article on data catalogs because I think that and and I would encourage anyone who hasn't read my article on data catalogs to read that and then read uh, the response to that that you published the the following month. And and so I think like where I was coming from and I do this. Anybody who listens to the show knows I do this. I'll overstate what I believe for effect. Um, but when I read the response to it, I largely was like, well, yeah, if I was willing to write that many words, I could have ended up with something like that. But I wasn't. I wanted to make a strong point and then move on. They actually, if you read it closely, they restated a lot of what my point was. And it was kind of like, 
well, but we're we're working on that. I'm like, yeah, great. Keep working on it, but get it done. Stop just working on it. Like make these things happen. So I'll come back to that in in a moment. Um, but as you, as wait, 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 didn't you say that the data catalog was like the 1920s solution? No, you said 1980s, 1980s. solution to, to a 2020 <laughs> problem. Oh, it is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great read. If you get a chance, anybody who's watching this, go to tdan.com, look up Anthony's name. You'll see all of his columns. You'll see that one. You'll see the response to it. Yeah, yeah. please go look at that. And, and my point was, is that data catalogs have tremendous potential. But they haven't realized that potential yet. And it's not okay to make excuses about not realizing that potential. Go go make it what it needs to be, not what's convenient to build. And I find that um, you know, some of the the data catalog softwares out there don't focus on what really needs to be solved. They focus on what they can do as opposed to what we really need. And that's and to me, that's part of the problem. But I think it's better illustrated actually to your second point around that 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 client who has had a focus on analytics first and then we're like, oh well then we'll improve the data later. At first I cringe and I still stand by that cringing, but I also recognize that it's important to create momentum. It's important to get things happening. And quite frankly, we can't make all the data good all of a sudden. And, and you know, I, I, I recall frequently a conversation I had with Tom Redman after um, my uh, book came out and he had read the book and he's like, I have a criticism for you. And, and this is the data doc. If you know, uh, if you know of him, I know, Bob, you know, him well. um, and, he, and he said, you know, you didn't emphasize enough that the data quality um you know, world, the, the, the quality of data is most influenced at the creation of that data. And I didn't emphasize it enough. And I've regretted it ever since. I'm like, dang it, Tom, you're right. I wish I had thought of that and emphasized that more because it's such a strong point. And similarly to your client where they said, okay, let's start doing analytics. Well, the fact is the data is already created. It wasn't, it wasn't a client. It, oh, was it, wasn't a, a client. Uh, it was another organization. And they oh. didn't say, Let's build out our complete data analytical right. platform and then go fix up the data. They said, let's provide, you know, the enough analytics to be able to demonstrate that the data is bad mm -hmm. so that we can then go to our management. So, yeah, they didn't completely put the cart before the horse, but they used it as you know an end to the a means to the end of getting the the company to realize the importance of it well in the spirit of 2020 i'm going to just adjust the facts to fit my narrative so what <laughs> total joke i'm not going to do that um the uh but i think the point though and, and where where i was heading with it is that if we want to get moving, that's great. And do analytics with what you have. Like, we're not going to get to perfection anyway. So recognize that data is always going to be deficient from perfection. Fine. Start using what you got. I just think that instead of just jumping straight to doing much with the data that you have, the first step really needs to be is understand what you have. And that's partially metadata. That's partially an assessment of the data quality. If we want people to use it at any level of quality, we really need to at least give them an, a, an understanding of what can you rely on this data to do. And if you want to do that and say our data is garbage, you can't use it for anything, but here you go. That's fine with me. Like, go do it. Maybe you can come up with some broad understanding of something, just recognizing, hey, there's going to be a lot of flaws in this. You're not going to balance your books with it, but maybe you can get an overall and, industry and, understanding. And maybe it'll be the uh, 
it'll be what kicks people into gear to get the data better. Exactly. You know, that's, that was that example that I was just talking about. So yeah, go ahead, fit things to your narrative. I'm, I'm used to it. <laughs> well, and and the, then and and then that way, if you're being transparent, you can say, hey, we know this data is flawed, and here's how we know it's flawed, or here's how we don't know if it's flawed or not. And then people know, hey, at least I know going into it eyes wide open. This is the risk that I take by using this data. If we don't do that and we just say, here's some data, go use it for what you want and don't give them an assessment of that suitability for use, then what's going to happen is they're going to assume things that they probably shouldn't assume. They're going to use that data for things they probably shouldn't use that data for. It's going to bite them in the butt. And then they're going to be like, I can't trust this data anymore. I can't use it. And then you're going to have an even bigger challenge on your hands to get folks to use it again in the future. And that's the biggest risk. And my point is, is create momentum, but make sure you're clear about what you're doing. And then you can work with the people that need to use the data to make it as usable as possible and, and improve it into the future. And that, that I think is really, you know, a good method to going about doing this because the, the flip side is you could say, okay, well, we're going to do this big data quality initiative. And we're going to do this big metadata initiative. We're going to do this big data warehouse project. And we're going to build all this stuff. And three years from now, we're going to give you some data to work with. Well, that's not going to work either because a, you're never going to finish it. B it's going to be wrong when you do and C no one will care because they've moved on because they've, they had to do something for the last three years. You know what? The honesty, the transparency and what you're doing and what you have actually provided is, is extremely important. And, you know, you want to set appropriate expectations. And if you're setting huge expectations and you're right, I mean, it's hard enough and people probably, everybody probably recognizes this, that it's hard enough for you to get people to come to, uh, to utilize the investment that you've made the first time. Mm-hmm. If they don't have confidence in that data, they don't trust the data, they don't, the data is not up to date, um, it will be infinitely more difficult to get them to come back again. Yeah. And, and so if you're, but if you're transparent with them and you're honest and you're upfront and you let people know the limitations of what you've provided and, you know, we, we're looking for honest feedback. So, you know, it's got to be kind of an iterative thing within the organization. Then, you know, you're going to be much better off for that. You're going to, you know, you have that transparency and that honesty and you partner with your users rather than promising them, you know, the best things in sliced bread. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, there's a lot to be said for that. And I think that that is, uh, that's a good takeaway that, that, you know, we could all take from this conversation is that, you know, we should be honest. And, and we we should be transparent, and we should partner with folks who are going to be the, the the on the receiving end of the work that we as data practitioners do. That this isn't a problem solved. Okay, we'll check that one off, and we'll move on to something else. No, first of all, it, data quality is an ongoing thing that you need ongoing discipline that needs to be applied. You're not going to solve all your data quality problems and then prevent any from occurring in the future. Companies are going to continue to acquire other companies and merge mm-hmm. and, and disband and all of those types of things. So the data is going to be going through a continuous um uh, continuous life cycle and, and a change, and so we're, we're not we're not. It's not like you can say, okay, data quality check, we did that. Data governance, you know, check, we did that. No, we need to continue to focus on these things. And the fact is that 
you know, I can speak to this personally. Again, this is something that I'm very thankful for is that I learn from every experience I have. I only think, to be honest with you, that I'm getting better and better as a consultant because I'm learning better ways to do things, even through solving problems with my clients. I'm learning better ways to word things just mm-hmm. so we can get the appropriate messages apart across. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we are all in – this is not – you know, data is just going to become more and more important. And um, and we need to continually focus on it. And so the, the question, the original question was, you know, from a discipline perspective, yeah, we got to just keep getting better at what we're doing. There is no mm-hmm. end to us getting better. Uh, just like data governance doesn't have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. Data governance is a program that lasts forever. I had a, I may have, might have mentioned this to you before that I had a CFO ask me at some point, you know, how many data stewards are we going to need and how long are we going to need them for? And my response to him, and I knew him quite well, was saying, well, you know, a lot of that depends on how long you want to have quality data for. And first he kind of gave me this puzzled look and then he winked at me and he said, you know, I get it. I, you know, your point is well taken. Yeah. Now, this is not something that goes away. Yeah, no, that that is absolutely true. And I, I've often said, you know, the, data governance is is kind of like hr like it just it it's an ongoing nurturing of one of the core capabilities in, in your business and and it becomes you know something that is ir, you know something that can't be separated from your business as well and and that's you know i think the it's easier to overlook than the the human resources because obviously people are a very important part of any organization. But the the data too is is the only if without data you don't you don't have an organization for the most part. Like I I don't even know if a, if an organization could even exist or function without a you know minimum viable amount of data at, at this point. Like I mean how how would you do it without you know tracking data at least on like sales and customers and and things like that. I mean and maybe very small businesses attempt to, but I'd imagine that there's probably more data than they even realize in, in a lot of these things. And there's opportunity you know with I, data. I wrote a column on TDM many years ago, or at least several years ago, that was called A Day in the Life. And it was it was a kind of a play on the Beatles song, you know, woke up, got out of bed, dragged a comb across my head, you know, and it started to talk about, you know, if you try to remove data from your life, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the time you leave, remember back in the day when we used to actually yeah. go into the office? We don't do that you know, <laughs> right now. But people would know, well, you know, if I leave the house at this time that, and, and I hit the normal amount of traffic, I'll expect to get to my parking spot by this time. I'll get into my office at this time. When I leave in the evening to pick up my child at school, mm-hmm. you know, I need to leave at this point in time or to get home for, for something. And, you know, it's not that we're constantly thinking about the data, but there's data behind all of oh, it. Yeah. There, there's, you know, what time do I, how many minutes does it take for me to go, you know, to get from one place to another? So it was, it was really making the comparison to, you know, and I think it would be a very interesting article to try to, to talk about an organization that didn't have data as one of their most important assets. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm with you. I don't think that it's possible, but it would be kind of interesting to, to see that. There was somebody who wrote an article, year, uh, wrote a book years ago about the, the data, the, the world, should I say, in two dimensions instead of three dimensions. Mm. 
and you think about the world as being flat and you know you can't go you can't go over anybody in a flat world you only can go around them and they it was very interesting i can't hmm. remember the name of the book but you know we need three dimensions for life to go on the way it goes on hmm. well you know what we need data to go on everything has a data component to it mm-hmm. and um you know i think we're, we're all recognizing that and uh yeah hr is important but data is you know people pro- talk about people process and technology data is you know it is it has to do with people has to do with the process. It has to do with the technology. You're not going to have process without data. You're not going to have technology without data. And you know what? The, what are people going to do if they're not, you know, focused on the data? So yeah, it is like that fourth dimension. Yeah, well, and and that, it actually, I was thinking. So as you were saying that, it was it's kind of like there's an interesting analogy to like being everyone is their own air traffic controller of their lives, right? Like you're sitting there trying to manage all of this, and it's all abstracted. Like you know, most air traffic controllers are looking at a radar screen and they're trying to figure things out and they're solving for the that and, and engaging with the data like we do with our schedules, right? That's all abstractions. That's all you know trying to fit things in at the right time in the right space. And it's actually, I think, amplified now in this remote working office world where you're in control of your time to a point, but then you also are constantly moving things around and there's never any downtime or breaks, it seems. And there's never time to get to the next meeting, which is all just virtual. It's like we've even eliminated what little passing period times we had to get walk from one room to another. Now it's like, okay, I'm going to be late to this next meeting so I can go get another cup of coffee or use the bathroom or something. Um, it's interesting. You should see my schedule today. It was thirty minute meeting upon thirty minute meeting upon forty five yeah. minute meeting upon thirty. I had a fifteen minute break in there because somebody only wanted forty five minutes. So yeah, yeah. It's uh, so I click out of the Zoom and I click in, click into WebEx and then I click into Teams or oh, yeah. or what we're using here, the Google Meeting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's constant. It's very constant. well, and, and I love those forty five minute meetings, which always go an hour. Like they're always like, we know you don't have anything starting right now, so we're gonna keep going. So it's like it's yeah I like the the it's it, we were well intended but it's very rarely actually executed on that forty five minute meeting I have several of those which are laughably. I got to go have breakfast this morning in that 15 minutes. That's it was nice. It, it, I mean, the 45 the minute meeting I like because it, it does give you some hope. But the other, so the, the, the other point like that I wanted to give you um, need hope. In, in response to that notion of the, the second, like if we go from 3D to 2D, um, it, it, it presents interesting um, academic challenges. I actually want to go back to data catalogs for a minute because this, this is a little bit of what I touched on in my article, but I want to spend a little bit of time talking about it because if we think about three dimensions. Okay, what is now, right? Like, so we've, we see the world around us from a data perspective now. So we can look at, okay, here is this, and we can see trends and, and stuff like that. But what I want to think about is instead of looking at data and the trends of data over time and, and all that, I want to think about metadata. I want to think about the context of that data and how the evolution has has changed and and how our business has evolved. Like you what you had talked about, like a lot of organizations are continuing to have acquisitions or spin-offs or re, you know restructurings, entering in new areas of business. This creates implications for the data and the systems that are involved. Well, one of the challenges that I see with today's data catalogs is that they're okay at telling us about right now 
and the, this is the metadata. This is where we find stuff. These are the systems and all this. Where I think the magic of the future of data catalogs exists is in a temporal awareness, is to be able to say, I don't want to just see how things have changed now from a metadata perspective, the context of data, the story of data. I want to see how that's changed over time. I want to get into lineage. I want to look at lineage, not just of the data, but of the systems, of the ecosystems, of the organization. And I want to be able to tell from that technology perspective. And this is starting to bring in concepts around like enterprise architecture and, and the the systems architecture and and the dynamics of code management and all of this stuff. But it's that ability to really reflect what is truth in the organization at both macro and micro levels over time where I can go and look at it and learn how did we get to where we are now? Because right now is not where I want to be. I want to be somewhere else. And that is so important because how many times can you think of where you've been trying to work on a situation and you just have lost the history. You just don't know where this thing came from. Why are we doing this process? Literally nobody knows because that person left the firm eight years ago and it's still just running in the background. And that's where I think the future of data catalogs is. And that's why I was so mad when I wrote that article is like, I'm like, we have an answer that we just can't be bothered to actually solve. Like we can't, we can't extend it to what really matters. We're just, you know, mucking around with a, a catalog of these are our data assets. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate that help me get to what really matters, which is making a better organization. And that's to me where, the, where that magic really will happen. So I wanted to add to that because I think you've made a great transition. And I just wanted to emphasize that because I want our, our listeners to think about how do we make that future better for the organization? How do we get past, oh, we think these are things that we should be doing in data management and data quality and all of this stuff and say, what does the business need? What is our organizational strategy and how can I support that and, and removing barriers between us and the success as an organization and work back from there and, and figure out what makes us more successful in the future? Because chances are anything I do today won't manifest in real outcomes for the business for a period of time. It could be an hour. It could be a year. It could be more. And that's where we have to be thinking. If we want to really impact an organization, we have to become more temporally aware of our past and plan on that for our future. And then that's where data management dovetails with things like program management and with organizational strategy. What are your thoughts to my just kind of random rant there? Well, I mean, the, the, the first thing that came to my mind is the, uh, the old saying of, you know, if we don't learn from our, our past, we're, we're, we're doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't learn from our history. And I think that, uh, you know, data catalog uh, companies should take note of what you said and that people should start talking in terms of, well, you know, where did we get, where did we come from and what issues did we need, to, what did we need to adjust and and be looking to the future and see you know what what can we learn from what we've done in the past so that we can continually get better in the future so um i don't have uh haven't haven't kind of thought about it you know too much until you kind of brought that up but i mean that was the first reaction that i have is that if we don't learn from our past if we only have a snapshot of right now then we're not going to do for our business, what we want to do, what our, our whole intent of these types of initiatives are for our business. Yeah. So that's, that's what I think. And I think that we could all learn from that. 
Yeah, well, and and I think it's, I mean, this is not a, you know, I don't know that I have all the answers. I think I know what direction I want to see things head, but I think there's a lot of questions to be answered there and a lot of work to be done. Um, and that's where I, 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 I take exception at the notion like, yes, we have figured it out with data catalogs. Like, that's not true. <laughs> that's just not true. Um, and that's where I, I feel like there's an opportunity here uh, to figure out. I'm doing a lot of work these days with knowledge graphs because the nature of um, research in, in a pharmaceutical industry and the nature of analytics is a lot more exploration. I, I'm looking between relationships between compounds and entities and things like that versus in the financial space. You do a lot of calculations. You're doing a lot of you know financial um, assessment through calculations of things that are well suited in a, in a data warehouse environment. And so I'm expanding my my depth of knowledge in the knowledge graph area and and understanding how these kinds of, of newer technologies can really help us broaden our full understanding of the data inherent in our organizations, like where it is, how do we use it, and how do we start making connections that previously were difficult to make. And, and what's pretty amazing with these knowledge graphs is the ability to take things that are really difficult to decipher. Like I've seen far too many insanely complicated spreadsheets for one lifetime. And what knowledge graphs allow you to do is actually be able to navigate that kind of information in a, in a more rational way. Uh, and that is so I think that for anybody who's out there listening to this and, and is working in the data management space, I'd highly encourage you to look at you know, knowledge graph technologies and, and figure out how that might apply, even in a limited capacity, to metadata and, and what we're doing with data catalogs. I think that that's an area that would become really interesting in, in coming years. And I, and I expect that there's already a bunch of software organizations working on that kind of concept. But if they're not, maybe you should, because I want to buy some of that. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've nerded out completely, you yeah. know, and, and the data catalog stuff, but uh, but you know, the, the the whole intent of this uh, this podcast is kind of to focus on, you know, what's coming, yeah, what's what's next. Even you know, we talked about twenty twenty, and you know, into twenty twenty one, where is there opportunity? And I think we've talked about a lot of them. I mean, it's oh yeah. Um, the fact is that you know we don't want to relive twenty twenty the same way uh, again. It's, we don't want to do a do over because there's just too many problems with a do over for twenty twenty. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and we don't want twenty twenty one to be like twenty twenty. But we can learn a lot from what took place in twenty twenty in so many different areas that um, I'm looking forward to 2021 being a great year. I mean, I think that there is that opportunity, coming back to that word, opportunity. Yeah. There is opportunity for us to improve. Um, there is opportunity for us to understand each other better. There's opportunity for a, a lot of different things. And uh, I know that I'm looking forward to it. we still got some time. we still got some work to do between now and the end of, the, of 2020. Um, but, you know, with the holiday coming up, I plan to, to look back and reflect on what was what it meant, what the, the year has meant to me, you know, what everything I'm thankful for has meant to me, you know, as we go into into the uh, into the holiday season at the end of the year. You know, I hope that we'll, we'll keep learning from what we've done in the past and into 2021. I just think that they're, I'm very optimistic about the future. I hope other people are too, and um, you know it, it's it, it's 
it's something we will all need to embrace and we just need to figure out the best way to embrace it. Yeah, I think that's well said. And, and, you know, 2020 has been a rough year for many of us and, and, you know, there's at best, maybe there's some threads of potential and, and, and if nothing else, there's hope. And I think that hopefully we'll be able to take and improve on things in 2021 and, you know, continue getting better. I think that, you know, we're getting better at this stuff slowly, but surely, but we're, you know, we're on the right track, but we're far from where we need to be. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's okay. We'll get there. Uh, and, and we just got to keep moving it forward. But Bob, once again, I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, I love having you on as a guest. Hopefully we'll do this a lot more, uh, in, in coming months and, and, you know, be we able to, to do another Christmas Christmas show or end of the year show or something like that. I mean, at this point, you know, I, I appreciate anyone who's, who's listening or watching the, um, podcast on YouTube. You know, we're trying to have interesting conversations. We're trying to have a, a dialogue that maybe replaces to some small extent the kinds of conversations you would have at conferences or in, you know, working with folks at the office. And so um, please do keep listening. Please do keep telling your friends. Um, and if you're interested in being a guest and sharing your story about data, please do that as well. And so, um, Bob, once again, thanks a lot. And um, everybody out there. You're welcome. Thank you for watching or listening today. You'll find links and more information about today's topic in the show notes. Subscribe to our show on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Visit algman.com to learn more about Algman Data Leadership and the many ways we can help you become a data leader. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. Thanks, everybody.